From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americans. Hi, Barbara. So you're wearing a Miami Dolphins sweatshirt. That's fantastic. The uh, combatants of the Super Bowl have been decided. Oh, it's done? Yeah. No, for sure. It's not Detroit. It's not Detroit, right? No, but it will be a Taylor Swift sighting. Oh, I heard that. Yes, and so everyone's excited. Did you hear about the 13? I did, yes, yes. (laughs) Everything adds up to 13? I'm telling you, it's it's something like serendipitous in the universe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about today, yes? Yes. Yes. We have all these events and how events affect marketing. Yes. um, And advertising, and Mm -hmm. we're really excited, therefore, not to necessarily talk about the Super Bowl, not to put her That's on the right. spot. That's right. But That's we right. do have Olivia Morley, who's uh, um, who works as a senior agency's reporter at Adweek. Actually, I just read that title carefully. Olivia, hello. And what does senior agency's reporter actually mean? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Barbara and Americus, for having me on today. I so appreciate it. So exciting. Um my title is it's kind of interesting because I came on board to be an expert in media agencies, which are the entities uh, that sit behind the advertising ecosystem. They plan and buy all of the media placements that you and I see across our social media channels or out in the world. Mm. Ah. So, I mean, the reason why I, we said that about the Super Bowl, not that you were at the Super Bowl, but you were at Sundance, right, um, recently? and that's, I was. And that's similar in a way, yep. in mm-hmm. like kind of opposite ends of the continuum, but still in a way, because right. it's an right. event that a lot of brands right. kind of use to promote themselves through the event. Right. So before we talk about your specific stories, can you just tell us what it was like being there and yeah. how you figured out what to write about? It was really incredible for me because I'm actually based in Utah, about 30, 40 minutes away from Sundance and Park City. And I grew up here. So it was my very first Sundance Festival, Mm. all things considered. Mm. It was incredible. I mean, being able to sit down, I went to the premiere of Saoirse Ronan's new film, The Outrun, and listen to the Q&A, engage, ask some questions of the cast and the directors. It was really phenomenal. Um, Of course, in addition to my marketing coverage. So, like, have brands always been latching on to this? I mean, I think you wrote a story about Cotopaxi. Um, and how they took over for Canadian Goose. But exactly what's the relationship between – before you talk about the specific, generally, what's the relationship between these brands and and Sundance? Yeah, well, brands have sponsored the festival for years and years. I think um, brands like Chase and Adobe are on their 13th and 14th years. And so they have really long running relationships with the festival and um, they've activated in all (laughs) kinds of ways over the years. But one of the ways that they do is to erect businesses on Main Street, essentially take those businesses over to create lounges and resting areas for Mm. either Sundance viewers or for press and talent. And so I think that there has been um, a really big emphasis on that for a really long time. But something is changing now, which I find really, really interesting. Mm. So 
we have brands going through this kind of renaissance when it comes to their affiliation with film and with cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been buying out cinema pre-show slots and airing 16-minute uh, narrative oh, wow. ads. Narrative. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so they're making this foray into film and cinema, and that, of course, complements any sponsorships or involvement that they have with the independent film festivals like Sundance. Wow, that's pretty cool. Give, give us a sense of how much this costs. So what are they spending on this? Like, oh, I know, money, right? Money, money. Listen, I got listen. I, there's, a, there's a balance sheet, Barbara, and we got to make sure it works, right? Okay. <laughs> well, it depends, right? And so, you know, there are all kinds of different ways that brands can show up. I mean... An in-person activation can cost a lot of money, but it's it's certainly nowhere near what a Super Bowl spot Mm -hmm. costs. (laughs) And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about, you mentioned Barbara earlier, the Super Bowl, and it costs as much as $7 million just for 30 seconds of time Mm -hmm. uh, during the big game. And so for brands that want to invest not just in erecting, you know, lounges and other um, locations on Park City Main Street, but ones that want to invest in film, you know, a hundred thousand dollar investment could fund an entire independent film. Yeah, more long tail for them. Yeah, yeah. no, that and you were always sense. talking about ROI, Barbara. That's what popped into my mind. Is like, <laughs> how how do the brands view this? Is this a is this a top of the funnel awareness thing? Is that what's the how do they connect this to whether or not they should be doing this or something else? That's a great question. And I think that it's something that marketers are trying to figure out right now. I think that there are so many marketers that are going in and they're actually funding the films. And one of the big concerns that they have is measurement. Because even linear advertising right now, you know, buying a Super Bowl spot, it's very hard for those marketers to understand ROI and what exactly they're getting back because it is a top of the funnel brand awareness play. Um, In this situation, though, I think what's interesting is that even though the measurement and metrics aren't necessarily there yet, there is a very, very long runway for success. So, you know, imagine uh, I've got one example. Nike produced a Mm. new movie about Sue Bird uh, that premiered at Sundance and that got picked up by Netflix. And so that's going to have long tail impact for Nike over the years as people continue to watch that. Will they continue to know that Nike sponsored it? Will Nike's name be somewhere in the film Mm. or beginning of the film? Right. As I understand it, yes. And because Nike has invested so much in actually founding its own production studio, oh. it had that advantage as well because it co-produced the film. Interesting. Wow, that's very cool. Well, it's also to your point, Barbara, you always talk about the power of storytelling. What's better a narr- uh, you know, vehicle than the movies, right? right? That's where the greatest stories are often told. Well, and there's two things going on here. One, the narrative is different. The event is different. Right. But certainly the audience is different also. Yes, yes. And I think yes. that does bring us to the story that you were talking about, that you wrote about, about Cotopaxi and why they may choose to come here. So tell us a little bit about that brand. Americans and I have heard of the brand, but not maybe not everyone has. And then it's different than, I think, Canadian Goose that used to have the sponsorship that they've taken over. So can you talk a little bit about the new brand, the old brand, the audience? That's a whole lot of questions. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So Cotopaxi is a relatively young outdoor apparel brand. They're about 10 years old, and they're actually based here in Utah. Mm. And so for years and years before this festival, Canada Goose had sponsored the festival's iconic director's jacket. 
And this uh, is something that all of the directors behind Sundance premiering films are able to receive. It's sort of like a rite of passage and an honor to hmm. receive. Um, and so Canada Goose and uh, in Sundance Institute ended their partnership this past year. And Sundance Institute reached out to Cotopaxi, to its CMO, and said, you know, we're in a need for an official outdoor apparel partner. We want to create these director's jackets. Do you have an interest? Interesting. And Protopaxi, which is very, very um, committed to both sustainability and also its social justice mission, which gives back 1% or more of proceeds uh, from all of its apparel to its nonprofit organizations in South America, um, was really excited to come on board and hopefully spread some of those messages. Now, now, do you have, just really quickly, Olivia, do you have any intel on why Canada Goose decided that they weren't going to continue uh, you know, being a part of this event? I don't actually. Okay. And, you know, it's, it is a question that I asked and the sponsorships team at Sundance Institute just said, you know, sometimes companies priorities shift mm. um, and it can be, you know, a financial thing. I mean, that's always part of it, right? Is like brands review their marketing budgets and they decide what events are worth investing for them if they're connecting with their target audience. Um, and other times it's just realizing that maybe they're a better fit to show up at a different kind of event. Um, so in this case, I'm not sure, but I think there are could, lots of... Could it also be, you know, they're at the flat part of the curve, you know, yeah. they kind of, yeah. maybe some of the same people come back, you know, year after yeah. year, the word of mouth is they're already spread. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And yeah, yeah. maybe they want to go do somewhere else and get a different audience. Mm. That's a that's an interesting point. And I think very possible um, as well. I mean, it's also a lot of an investment and a commitment to produce these director's jackets. Mm. And so, um, like I said, some of these brands do this for more than a decade. And it makes sense that at a certain point, you know, maybe new leadership comes in, uh. just like with agency reviews, you know, that happens. Sometimes a new CMO comes in and they say, hey, we want to do something different. You know, I have another hypothesis, which is probably not right, but I'll discuss it anyway. It's also this notion of like, I think Canada Goose is going to a broader, more mass market. Oh. It used to be more elite. Oh. Um, and maybe oh, the opinion leaders, you know, at Sundance were ones they wanted to get in the beginning. And now it's kind of trickled down yeah. and they that's have a bigger mass of people going. So yeah. maybe that's another reason to switch, mm. um, which, you know, brings you back to why Cotopaxi is right, doing it. Newer. and it, Right. Yeah, I think they're newer. They may Younger. want to get a certain kind of prestigious first users, you know, hmm. and spread that way. Have you seen that kind of campaign? You know, kind of a word of mouth campaign and the order in which you ask people to wear things and stuff. Oh, 100%. And I think that that's definitely something that they're focused on. Um, like you said, they are a new brand. They're also a Salt Lake City specific brand. Mm. And so I think that they're looking at a chance to potentially capitalize off of some common ground with the festival. Um, I also think, you know, Sundance is held in Park City. There is yeah, definitely an understanding of, uh, you know, we're in Utah, we're in the mountains. And I think Cotopaxi's sustainability mission oh, and yeah. um, good match, really yeah. good fit. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Let's move on to something you did talk about with the Super Bowl you wrote about, which I found really interesting. This idea that Robert Kraft's foundation is going to air its first Super Bowl spot to combat anti-Semitism. That huh. seems like... Wow, on the Super Bowl. I mean, oh wow, what? yeah, yeah, because there is this, there's this movement of like, please, you know, no, 
none of this conversation. We just want our football, you know. <laughs> so this idea that you know this is pretty controversial. What was what was the big premise that uh, you know that you found there, Olivia? So it's extremely controversial, and I was considering that as I was writing the story as well. I mean, it's a very sensitive subject right now. I think that um, one of the things that Kraft took care to note in the press release that he he and his foundation sent out to press was that the campaign, which we have not yet seen, the campaign should focus on bringing all kinds of people together. Mm. So it is the the campaign to combat anti-Semitism. Um, but it seems to me, based on the wording in the release, that we could see all kinds of different people and marginalized groups being represented. Mm. Uh, and but that's just conjecture at this point. We'll have to wait and find out. But we know historically, like you were alluding to, the Super Bowl is not the place a lot of people want to see some really political kind yeah, of statements. Right. So it is a sure. little risky, it's even risky. though it may be this all-inclusive kind of message might be a way to combat that initial antagonism. But that mm-hmm. will be really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are, I, are you aware of any other like Super Bowl ads or any campaigns that you're – ready to talk about yet or you don't want to <laughs> you know i'm aware of some what i can say at a very high level is that this is one of the only ones that has come across my desk that has been very purpose driven mm-hmm. and edging on political um in general this year we can expect to see brands pull back from that mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of celebrities in ads there's going to be a lot of action pack spots mm-hmm. and this is Thing that kind of faded out right during 2020 2021 it's like brands were going all in yeah, on purpose-driven campaigns or they were just pulling out entirely yeah that that's what americans and i have been talking about that a lot you know what the trend is and the risk in going that way or not going that way and yet yeah, you know speaking of that i saw that you wrote like at the beginning of the january one of these like what are the trends for 2024 looking ahead kind of report and since you are the senior Sorry, agency Barbara, can you say, reporter, say it just like that <laughs> do, do that again that voice is just fantastic it was like you know <laughs> but i mean I, it you know it's always like making predictions yeah. and talking about yeah. trends everybody asks you to do that yeah. but it's kind of tricky yes and it looks like you did kind of write a little bit of a, a looking ahead report on what agencies need to know Yes. So we might as well do it. January's yes. not quite over yet, is it? It's no, almost, it's the last it's, yeah, day. Last day. <laughs> last day's tomorrow, I believe. Yeah. So what's your it, crystal ball looking like in terms of key trends to uh to to keep an eye on, Olivia? There are so many. So the story that you're referencing is uh based on the Forays look ahead report, which they do every year. And it includes a lot of things that span sort of the ecosystem. I think that one, as we all know and expect, is a focus on data privacy. Um, as cookie deprecation bears down upon the industry, should finally come to fruition, you know, this year and the future years. Um, I think a lot of marketers are trying to figure out, okay, what are the privacy laws that we need to comply with across the United States? And those privacy laws differ significantly from state to state, as it is right now. Many states like California are taking matters into their own hands in the absence of, you know, federal regulation in this country. And so that's something that we should continue to watch is how states continue to evolve their privacy laws and then how they do federally as well. Um, so I think that that's going to be a big one. And then in a similar vein, also uh, what it's going to be required from agencies and marketers to report their carbon emissions. Um uh-huh. And similarly, you know, in absence of federal 
guidelines, states are taking matters into their own hands. So these are all things that marketers are going to have to be cognizant of. Hmm. So those are all costs. Those sound like yeah. making it harder to do business, right. worrying about privacy, right. hard, making the data harder to get to, and then all the climate change and right. all of that kind of stuff is, is kind of a no-win um, proposition because a lot of brands do it, but they can't really talk about it and take much credit because they don't do it 100%. Right. And if they start talking about their efforts, people look at what they're not doing instead <laughs> of what they've accomplished. Right. So right. it's kind Green of a wash. difficult thing. Yeah. Greenwash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those all sound like negative, not negative, but difficult trends. Is there anything upbeat? <laughs> Was there anything like that you were thinking? Goodness? Well, Goodness. it, depends. it yeah. depends on how you think about upbeat. Um, one of the most promising things that I think we're seeing in the advertising ecosystem uh, are changes to the traditional agency pitching process. Mm. So typically how this works is the brand decides, hey, we need a new agency partner. Maybe it works with an external consultant to be connected to five or 10 viable candidates. And then those candidates come in and they pitch their services to the chief marketing officer. And these processes can cost hundreds of thousands, if not up to, you know, millions of dollars. Um, and it's very expensive for all sides. It's expensive for the agencies that put forth their money in this process and might not be chosen, might not get any return for their investment. And it's also very expensive for the marketers who do this, you know, usually every three to five years or, or sooner. Um, so we're seeing some modifications and changes to that process that might make it easier for agencies to pitch and more cost effective for marketers, um, which includes, you know, sometimes not choosing a consultant, sometimes bringing in an advisor uh, to guide the process, maybe someone who used to sit on the agency side. I wrote a story about that today. Um, or just finding ways to uh, compensate the agencies for their work. You know, maybe oh, wow. they pitch you know, they can use the work and be compensated for it as a project. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that is good news. Well, that's, that's a happy good. note to end on. So <laughs> thank you so much, Olivia, for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and the stories that you write? Um, they can go to adweek.com or you can also check out my website, which is oliviamorleywrites.com. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Of course, thank you for having me. Well, that's all we have time for today. And we'd like to thank our producers, Dion Simpkins and Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. And you can follow our show and our podcast at Knowledge at Wharton, where we highlight all the podcasts that we're doing at uh, for Wharton. But you can also follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming on the Business Channel. Thank you all for listening today. We'll be back next week. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn, here with America's Read, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.